This morning we continue talking about the missions, the mission of God. We continue to talk about what God is doing in the world around us and how we can be a part of it. We started this series two weeks ago when Pastor Scott talked to us about how when Jesus is raised from the dead, he goes back to those disciples and he says, go and proclaim, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. Last week we kind of talked about why. Why do we do this? Because it's part of, we said it's simply because God's desire, God's will, and God's dream is to reconcile the entire world that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And we have the great gift to be part of that. And so maybe you think, well, this is a great idea, but maybe you wonder, you say, hey, how does this work for people like me? For ordinary people? Uh, for people who aren't maybe, you know, top 1% of charisma or intellect or oratory or any of these other reasons that you and I tend to put in our life as to why we can't or won't or don't want to. And so I thought it was really important for us today to look at what God's Word says for ordinary people, how ordinary people can be part of this extraordinary mission. And so I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts this morning, to the very first chapter. It'll be on the screen. We'll read verses 6 through 9. Acts 1, 6 through 9. Hear this, the word of the living God. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning we're going to talk about how, and what we find with the how is like it always is with Jesus. It's not what we had expected or anticipated. We see with the disciples, they came together and they said, well, now that you've raised from the dead, what else can you do? Now must be the time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus says to them what I suspect, at least in my experience, Jesus says to me and maybe says to you, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too narrow. You see, their vision of Jesus restoring the kingdom was it's going to be in Israel for the Jewish people and a political solution. And he says, listen, Jesus says, Restoring the kingdom, well, I'm thinking instead of me just doing it, because hey, that's what we want, right? God, just do it. How many of our prayers are like, God, do X? He says, no, I think maybe you're going to do it. And you know what, Israel, (laughs) I looked this up this morning, Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey, And he says to them, hey guys, New Jersey is just a little bit small. Apologies for any of you who are from New Jersey. 
he says, you know, I know you've never been anywhere else but this, uh, you know, 50 by 200 mile area of land. But I'm thinking, how about the ends of the earth? And I suspect they thought, how can this be? God said, Jesus says, I've got a plan that's big and it involves you. And it involves you going and being my witnesses. I love what Patty shared with us about how each person tells one, but, but maybe instead of one telling, one might tell two. I mentioned this last week, and then two might tell two, and then it goes one and four. We, we didn't have a stage big enough for all the dominoes that would have been included in that. He says, you will be my witnesses. I always thought about witness. You know, a lot of times we hear witnesses and we think, hey, that that means that it is our job uh, to argue with people. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, hey, I'm not an argumentative guy. I, I thought about that for a long time. I had to have all the reasons. And so that becomes for us kind of a struggle, right? Because we think, hey, I don't know the Bible enough. Or I don't know, you know, I, I don't know science well enough. Or I don't know any of these arguments. And I, I'm thankful uh, for, for people who do. I'm thankful for people like my friend Humphrey here. And, you know, who, who understands the scientific arguments uh, for belief. But, but most of us, we struggle with that. And we, and we say, hey, you know, I don't know enough so I can't be a witness. I remember when I was in college, I, I thought I was going to be an attorney. I don't know why, but I just thought I would. It's a long story. I got involved in something called mock trial. If you have all have ever heard of it, it's very common at the high school and college level now. In fact, there are some excellent teams here in Kentucky. The first time I ever came to Danville was because of mock trial, but that's another story for another day. And when you do mock trials, some of the people on the team are attorneys and some are witnesses. And at my freshman year, you know, of course I want to be, you know, the big cheese, but I was a witness. And being a witness is really hard because in mock trial you lose points if you try to argue the case. Your job is to say what you saw your job is to give the facts and not try to make an argument. To give the facts, but not make an argument. Why? Because, do, do, because in mock trial, who makes the arguments? The attorneys, who are also known as the advocates or the counselors. Conveniently enough, folks, we're the witnesses and God's provided the attorneys. After all, what is the Holy Spirit known as? The advocate and the counselor. You see, we are designed simply, we are told by Jesus, what you need to do is simply tell the story. In fact, in Luke, if you turn back, uh, as, you, as most of you probably know, but maybe not all of you, uh, Acts is the second volume of, the, of, of Luke's work, the first one being the Gospel of Luke, and it must have been so popular they asked him to write a second one. I don't know, but we know from the beginning of Acts in chapter 1, it says this is the continuation 
of what Jesus has done. And Jesus says at the very end of Luke, says to them, it is written that the Messiah is to suffer, to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, what Jesus asks us to do is to be witnesses in a world that has lost hope. You look around the world today, and we see a world that is going every possible direction, trying to solve the human dilemma. And that is that deep down sense in our own souls that this world is not what God wills it to be, and that our lives are not yet what it needs to be. And so we flail around and we seek and we self-medicate and we divert to try to avoid or overcome this problem, but it stays with us. And Jesus says, you are witnesses that in a world where there is no hope, that God has provided a way. He has provided a Savior. You are witnesses of these things. He says, being a witness is just tell the story that there is hope, that there can be forgiveness, that repentance isn't just saying you're sorry, but repentance is turning around 180 degrees and God has provided us someone to turn to. That's being a witness. Being a witness. Telling the story. And it takes a lot of forms. If you look in the book of Acts, if you look at Acts chapter 2, we have Peter tells the story. He talks to his audience at their level. They're a Jewish audience. He talks from the Jewish scriptures. We see in Acts chapter 6 and 7 where Stephen is arrested and he speaks to the council. He tells the story of Israel. We see there, and when Paul speaks later, he tells the, Paul speaks in Acts chapter 17. He, he, spe- uh, he, he, uh, he speaks in, on a, in Mars Hill, and he's not speaking to Jews, but he's speaking to Gentiles, and he speaks and tells the story that you say there is an unknown God, but that unknown God you talk about, I proclaim to you. He uses their philosophers and their background. He tells the story in their terms. Later in Acts, Paul speaks to the emperor and the governor, and he says to them, tells them his story. He says, hey, I was advancing far beyond my peers in in religion and religious observance, but God got a hold of me. He told his story. There's no one way to tell the story. But it's about connecting with people where they are. About building relationships with people. And about sharing the good news that there is hope. That there is forgiveness. For everyone. And what's really important. Is to be a witness. You have to have seen or heard something. When he says, you are witnesses of these things, Jesus says, have you, you have experienced this. 
I titled this sermon, Can I Get a Witness? It comes out of a tradition in other churches, many in the African-American tradition, where the, where the pastor will, usually much louder than I am, will, will say something really important, really central to the faith, and he'll say, can I get a witness? And his question is, have any of you experienced what I've said to be true in your life? And so have you experienced that grace and forgiveness in your life? I hope you have. It's not too late if you haven't. You can cry out to God today. You haven't experienced knowing having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is an opportunity for you to have that. But to be a witness, it presupposes, it prerequisite. Did you know you can have an experience? You don't just have to believe. Friends, I'm going to tell you, believing in God, I'm going to get in trouble, so this is the time when you have to pay attention, okay? Believing in God will always leave you short. Like, what do you mean, Pastor? If all your belief is up here, you're like, I believe God exists, you'll always miss what God has for you. What happens is, when do you experience God's grace? When does your belief move from your head into your heart? That's what will make a difference. That's where you will know every day that you are a born-again follower of the risen Lord. I served a church before I came here, and it was started in 1910. It was one of the newer churches in its area, in this small rural community. And it was started by people who weren't Christians and by people who came from other denominations because Methodists came with a tent revival. Some of you who are older are going to have to explain to some of the younger, our younger people here what that means. A tent revival, I've seen pictures. Uh, you know, a tent revival, some of you remember these. And they proclaimed, and the good news they proclaimed was, not only can you come to church and sing songs and listen to sermons which may or may not be interesting, you can actually know in your heart that Jesus is Christ and he's Lord of your life. And that message birthed that church and it's kept it going for 107 years now. 108 years. That you can know. And how do you know? It's what Jesus tells them. He says, because see, we've talked about the second half of being a witness, but we've missed the most important part of that sentence. It doesn't say, you shall be my witnesses. It says, the, you, it says, you will receive power. You see, when Christ ascended, in John's gospel, he said, it is good for you that I go to be with the Father, because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, to be with you. The Holy Spirit will come. And he's saying that's not an option. That is not an add-on, by the way, for Christians. It's not like going to buy a car and you're like, do I want the leather seats? Oh, you know, they're hot in the summer and cold in the winter. But they're more comfortable. I could get the heated version. It's not like that. That's not how the Holy Spirit comes. If you trust in Christ, you will receive power. That's not a you may receive power. That's a, not a you might. It is you will. It says you will receive power and, and in Greek there's a parallel structure here, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit coming into your life 
allows it to shine through. Folks, you cannot be a witness by power. You can just tell people. But to be a witness is that the Holy Spirit has so transformed you, has so taken up residence in your heart, my friends, that you cannot help but shine it to the world. That you are bearers of God's grace. That's what it is to be a witness. Not by your power, but by the power of God working within you. Don't sell yourself short. And so how do you do it? You do it in any way the Holy Spirit leads you. I know sometimes you get people to say, well, you got to say the words. And for a lot of us, we think, I don't really feel like it. Or you have bad experiences. Anyone who's probably under 40 in this room, there's some of you, you probably remember when you went to college. Do you remember the, the street preachers in college? Maybe you all go to school like that. They come and uh, they, they, they come around campus. I had someone tell me afterwards they remembered at UK. And they come and they shout and they shout like, you're going to hell. Repent, turn. You're a sinner. That may or may not be true. I, I grant you that. But I have a question. Do you think that was effective? Because what does that do? That makes people think, those Christians, they're all crazy. Why? Because they didn't do it in love, Right? They're like, you need to. I know the truth. You need to know it. I didn't bother to build relationships. But on the other hand, and there's so many in churches like ours, we're afraid to use words. We love that phrase that Francis of Assisi didn't say that said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. I think it's always necessary. If Jesus, if God didn't think words were important, we wouldn't have this book. Words matter. But it matters how you treat people because the words and the deeds, they go together. It is trouble if you try to use words and you don't have love in your heart because that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. When the Holy Spirit is in you, it will change your life and it will open your lips. You say, how can I do it? Hey, you know, listen, I'm not that, not a bigwig, but friends, I want to tell you, do you... Did you notice who he says this to? These disciples. If I were to make a list of promising people in the Bible, I don't think any of the disciples would be on it. These people, they weren't exactly the cream of the crop, so to speak, in the world's eyes. I mean, after all, think about Peter. You remember what happened to Peter? Jesus gets arrested, and Peter's first response is, I don't know the guy. You know, he's there, and they're like, well, you know him, don't you? I don't know. Are you sure you don't know him? I think I saw you with him. Oh, no, no, that must have, I've never even heard of anyone named Jesus before. And then the young girl says, I know you're with Jesus. You have that same funny accent that Jesus has. They're like, I promise you I don't know his name. And he says, oh, yeah, you. Go and be my witness to the ends of the world. That's, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have gone found someone else. But it's one of the great mysteries and marvels of the gospel that Jesus goes back to those same people who betrayed and denied him. He says, feed my sheep. Go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Why? Because he says, you're not going to do it under your power. You're going to do it under his power. 
power of the Holy Spirit. And after all, read chapter 2 later today. Peter said, I don't, I don't know, even know his name. Suddenly we've got a whole page, in your, if your Bible's like mine, a whole page, where he boldly proclaims Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so where would we go? Where, would, you know, how do we, where do we go? He says, hey, you're going to be in Jerusalem. You're going to be in Judea and Samaria. You're going to be at the end of the world. You know, that's like an, uh, an overview. It's like a table of contents for the book of Acts, right? It begins in Jerusalem through to verse eight, chapter 8. Then from 8 on, or a few more chapters, it's Judea and Samaria, and then the rest, the ends of the earth. It's like a table of contents. But it's not a strategic plan. He didn't say, well, and they said, okay, well, so I'll take Jerusalem, you take Judea, you take Samaria, and you three go to the ends of the earth. It's not how it happens. You see, we think we've got to have a plan, but what we find here in Acts is it's not an either or. It's not a, well, do I serve here or there, or how do I choose? What we find is that somehow God is at work once again. You see, it's amazing. Friends, being a witness is, is, is less about having great ideas and more about just being open to what God is already doing. If you look at chapter 8, Verse one, chapter 7, rather, we find Stephen is the first martyr. The word martyr in English comes from the Greek word martus. By the way, if you ever wonder, how do we translate martus? It translates to witness. Stephen was a witness until death. And then afterwards, if you read in, in Acts 8, 1b, it says, the day that he was killed, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Isn't that amazing? They didn't plan it, but God did. God used that tragedy for his glory. If you look there, they go and they don't, it doesn't die off. You think, oh, they'll die off, but no, but God uses them and they start churches in Judea and Samaria. But also, God sometimes sends people. You know, sometimes you're sent places. Sometimes you end up places just by life circumstances, though. I asked at the first service, how many of you, I will tell you, when I was, say, in high school, my life plan did not involve living in Danville, Kentucky. I'd be curious how many of you, your life plan when you were in high school didn't involve living in Danville, Kentucky. But you ended up here, or Lancaster, or Stanford, or wherever you live. But it happened here, maybe your company brought you here. I know some of you, your company brought you here. Some of you got a job here. Some of you, your kids moved here, and you don't know why they moved here either, but you ended up here because the grandkids are here. And so God brings people through life circumstance, but also God calls people. You know, the Goshorns, they didn't plan to go to Peru, but they started going on mission trips to Peru, and God got a hold of their heart and said, you need to go full time. And we support those people. In, in fact, in, in Acts 13, they're praying, and the Holy Spirit tells the church in Antioch, set aside Saul and Barnabas for me for the work I have for them. God sent them to the ends of the earth. God puts people where we need to be. See, all over your life, you will have opportunities in all the places where you go. Our kids here, I think about you all. Even our kids, you have an opportunity to be a witness in your school, with your family, with your neighbors. You get to be witnesses. 
for those of you who are adults and you have an opportunity in your place of work in how you treat your employees and your coworkers to be a witness. You have an opportunity in the grocery store to be a witness. Wherever you go, you have an opportunity to be a witness. And perhaps for many of you, the, most, the number one opportunity you have is with your, with your spouse, maybe, who doesn't yet believe. Maybe you have an opportunity with your child or your parents to be a witness let me tell you one story and then we'll be done. In my last church, I served a little tiny church, 15 or 20 people most Sundays in Grant County in northern Kentucky. And my lay leader was a lady named Janet. Janet was a wonderful lady who just exuded the grace of the Holy Spirit. Janet was in her 70s at the time and I knew that her husband was deceased a couple of years ago. I never knew her husband. And she told me about her husband. They had been married for many decades, but up until the last few years, her husband never went to church, never wanted to talk about God. And every Sunday, Janet would get, when they moved to Grant County, every Sunday, Janet would get up and she would put on her clothes and she would go to church. And every Sunday, she'd ask her husband, do you want to come to church with me? And every Sunday, he said no. And then one Sunday... She asked, and he said, well, get my clothes ready. I'll go with you. And he went that Sunday, and he went the next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and he gave his life to the Lord. A year or so later, Art was diagnosed with very advanced cancer. And that little church cared about him. And even some Sundays after the service, they would go over with a few of them to the house and sing songs and share Holy Communion when he wasn't able to get out to church. And eventually Art died. And he loved that little church so much he's buried in the cemetery behind that little church on a hill. And Janet misses him every day. But whenever she tells me that, she says, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that now he's with Jesus. If it hadn't been for her, I don't know if he'd be with Jesus now. That's the power of being a witness. The difference between eternal life and eternal death. And God gives us that ministry and mission to the world in need. And so, friends, and so, loved ones in Christ, and so, Centenary United Methodist Church, I have a question for you. Can I get a witness? Let us pray.